This morning, I have a friend that I'm introducing to you again. Uh, he reminded me today that the last time we had him preach was the Sunday right before COVID, COVID closed everything down. We're hoping that is not a prophetic uh, message I just shared. Um, Michael Chance is a pastor with many years of pastoral experience. In the last few years, and I mentioned this in my Musings mail newsletter this week, in the last few years, Michael has been asked to serve uh, with a group of churches up in the New York City area. And his calling, his role, was to be the pastor of encouragement to the churches. If you have gotten to know him, you understand why they asked him to do that role. By God's grace, he and Linda have been led to our church family, and uh, he is now spilling over on we pastors and many of you in our church family that ministry of encouragement. I asked him to speak to us today and open the word to us. Thank you, Mark. God bless you. Well, the first thing you will uh, recognize is that I have a Southern accent. I'm from Louisiana originally, and uh, we raised our family up in Middlesex County in East Brunswick. I worked in New York City for 17 years and then uh, uh, pastored in Edison for another. How many of you from Middlesex County or any, have any experience up in Middlesex? Yay, that's home. That's home. And uh, for all those years, when we moved to New York City in 1986, People would say, uh, you sound like you're from the South. I said, yeah, I'm from South, South Jersey. But I never realizing that one day I actually live in South Jersey, right here in Burlington County. And I retired from full-time uh, ministry uh, a few years ago in 2017 and, and uh, have since uh, been finding myself uh, as a minister of encouragement for a uh, this uh, network of graffiti community ministry churches in New York City. And then I also do pulpit supply for a couple of uh, Chinese churches, one up in East Brunswick and one in, in uh, uh, Chinatown in New York City. So uh, we're here about one Sunday a month when I have uh, time. And Pastor Mark and the staff and, and the church has been so gracious. We love Fellowship Church. And like Pastor Mark mentioned, I remember that week that uh, uh, he had asked me to preach uh, for that third Sunday in March. And on Tuesday of that week, he called me, he sent me an email, says, Mike, do you think you could come Saturday morning? Looks like we may be shutting down. And, and so on that Saturday morning, the only people that were in this sanctuary, as we taped the service to be broadcast the next day, was the sound people, the worship team, Pastor Mark, and myself. This is the first time I'm actually preaching to people here at Fellowship. This is great. It's uh, awesome. And uh, you, I tell you, we have been, the last three years has been a challenging time for every one of us. I mean, we've lived through a global pandemic. We've, we've come through political unrest and demonstrations, stock market turbulence, a war, cataclysmic weather events. Just in this last few weeks, we've seen 40 people killed in a massive blizzard in Buffalo. We've seen 
people killed in California with rivers of, of, of there's all cyclones uh, coming ashore, and tornadoes down south. Uh, and, and to go along with all that stuff, in the last several years, we've seen even the evangelical church here in America has taken a real hit. Young people have left the church by droves. Relationships have broken. Pastors and staff have left their churches. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors leave their churches, just step away from the pulpit because of emotional stress. Church is closing. It has been just a challenging time for all of us. Well, let me tell you, I have good news this morning. Over the last year, I've been pouring my own energies into uh, Paul's final letter that he wrote, the little book of 2 Timothy. In fact, if you have your Bibles or your phones with your Bibles on it, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of 2 Timothy today. So go ahead and open uh, your Bibles to that. Uh, the message here in this little New Testament book of only four chapters Friends, has brought great personal refreshment to my soul. Uh, the, the two Chinese uh, churches I've worked with in, in 2022, we've, t we've looked at 2 Timothy verse by verse. And every week as we shared, or it's actually about once a month with each church, I've noticed God just showing me something that was just like being out in the desert and seeing an oasis and, and finding the water in that oasis. It's been wonderful. Now, to remind you of where we're at here in 2 Timothy, this is Paul's final letter. And he's writing to his young protege in ministry, his son in the ministry, young Timothy over in Ephesus, who's leading of the church himself uh, through this perilous, tumultuous time in the first century. Now, Paul and Timothy had a precious, precious relationship. Uh, we, we know that, uh, Paul, that Paul had uh, uh, spent a great deal of time with Timothy's family, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and uh, there's no mention of Timothy's dad. He may have died. We don't know. But the relationship that Paul had with Timothy was more like a father and son. And today, I just want to ask you, if, if there's any anxiety in your life, if you're a bit afraid of, of how to do life in this tumultuous 21st century, it's particularly coming out of the last three years that we've all experienced, I want to tell you that there are some great words of hope in this uh, little book we call 2 Timothy. And I pray that in this message today, you'll be introduced to some real compassionate counsel from the Apostle Paul himself. But first, I want to remind you of the predicament that Paul found himself in as he was writing this little letter. You know, as we leave uh, the book of Acts, uh, Paul is in, under house arrest. That was nothing compared to where he is now. After he, uh, uh, once he finished up that house arrest in Rome, he managed to make one more missionary trip, probably up into Spain somewhere, and then decided to come back to Rome to, because he knew that the church in Rome was struggling. He wanted to spend time with them. So he comes back to Rome. We don't know how long he's back there before he's arrested and thrown into the Mamertine prison. 
Caesar Nero has got the city of Rome during this time, about 66 AD, just in a state of complete upheaval. Now, let me tell you about Caesar Nero. He was a megalomaniac in every sense of the word, a narcissist from, from every perspective. Um, he decided to rebuild Rome to uh, match his own glory, so he decided to try to burn it down, and he blamed the believers. He blamed Christians. Some think that even Paul had an opportunity to talk to him at one point, and, and maybe because of that conversation and Nero being confronted with the claims of the gospel, and because of his nature refusing that, he went insane. We don't know, but Rome was in bad shape. The city was burning, and he was blaming it on Christians. He disliked Christians so much that he said about these believers, these followers of Christ, that they are cannibals. They delight in eating the body and blood of their Lord. And he became so uh, sadistic by, by arresting Christians and dipping them in some kind of oil, and burning them alive. And then you all know the stories of him throwing Christians into uh, to feed the lions and, 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 and such. He was, he was a, in Pastor Mark's words, he was a real muckety-muck if ever there was one. And yet, uh, Paul finds himself under arrest and he's thrown into this uh, prison. Now, our scripture comes to declare today, I think, and I want you to see with me, three admonitions, three uh, compassionate counsel or admonitions uh, from the Paul for tumultuous times, for chaotic times, for uncertain times, just like we have here in uh, 2023. And the first thing I'd like to show you this is take you in first chapter of Second Timothy, verse 7. In fact, um, uh, let me just read, uh, starting with verse 3, these words, and that'll bring us down to uh, verse 7. He says to young Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. The first admonition that I would challenge you with today, Paul is saying to you and me, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In fact, be unafraid. He's, you know, this whole idea of fear in our lives, fear does massive damage to every one of us, including we who are Christ followers. It's a tool of the devil himself. Fear is, it can be debilitating. It robs us of joy. It causes us to make bad decisions. Listen, no one likes to be afraid. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever wondered how many times it says in Scripture to uh, uh, do not fear or fear not. I saw a meme recently in social media where it says <clears throat> the term uh, fear not is 
given 365 times uh, in the Bible, uh, you know, one for each day. I, I don't know that that's true. Uh, I, you know, I've counted 70 to 80, 90 times, you know, as I've studied and, and looked at it. The bottom line, the number is not so, as important as the fact that God tr- just challenges us not to be afraid and not let fear rule in our heart. For it will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. It will destroy careers. Fear does damage to the person. Here in, in 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul uses an interesting word for fear. He says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear. That word fear is the Greek word dilea, which has the connotation of timidity. Uh, uh, it, it, it's fearfulness. It's, it's cowardice. In the first century world, um, in secular literature, it refers to a person who has fled from battle due to cowardice. It's like the polar opposite of boldness. You know, the human condition is such that, that we are just kind of prone to be set by even all kinds of little nagging fears, and they will rob us of joy. Uh, you know, you've heard the term phobia. Uh, all of us, you would think, probably have some kind of phobia. I know one of the reasons I moved from Louisiana up to New Jersey is because there are no poisonous snakes here in uh, New Jersey. Not that I've been able to. Last summer, I saw my first black snake. In our, it, he, that little guy, even though he was non-venomous, still freaked me out. But uh, I grew up in South Louisiana, and I've seen all manner of water moccasins, copperheads, rattlesnakes. And uh, the, the worst kind are the other kind of reptiles called alligators, which I've, I've seen enough of. So I moved to New Jersey, and I'm good. But, uh, uh, you know, let me just take a quick survey. Uh, how many of you uh, deal with uh, claustrophobia? Anybody deal with claustrophobia? Okay, now how about, uh, what about brontophobia, which is the fear of, of thunderstorms and and such. Anybody deal with brontophobia? What about acrophobia, the fear of heights? All right, there we go. Now we're getting some hands. Okay, how about arachnophobia? Anybody, all right, yeah, okay. The, yeah, there's some guys, just uh, spiders. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's a, here's a phobia that is, is uh, I don't know if you uh, heard of, uh, it's called nomophobia. Nomophobia. You know what nomophobia is? It is the fear of misplacing or losing your cell phone. Okay? Anybody with nomophobia? <laughs> Honey, where's my phone? <laughs> nomophobia, yeah. These fears will do a number on us. Now, uh, let me tell you. Uh, Paul here is writing from this prison cell. It was a horrible prison cell. And he is writing to this young man, his son in the ministry, and says, Timmy, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now you're saying to yourself, how can Paul, as he's writing these words here, how can he write these words and himself not be afraid? I believe there's some things that we can see up uh, top, uh, beginning of the uh, 
uh, verse 3, that we can see that uh, why Paul was not afraid. He was not afraid and fear had no place in his life because his life was filled with thanksgiving. Verse 3, where it says, I thank my God whom I serve as did my ancestors. His life was filled with thanksgiving. Also, his life was filled with forgiveness. He had a clear conscience. He understood the power of living life without the burden of unconfessed sin. He had a clear conscience. His life was also prayerful. He says, as I remember, your, I remember you constantly in my prayers. Uh, I want you to see also that he, his life was filled with hope. He says, uh, I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. By the way, hope is so important for the believer. If we don't have hope, what else is there? And one of my favorite acrostics for hope is this. Uh, hope is simply heavenly optimism perpetually entertained. Hope. His life was also filled with encouragement. Look here in verse 5 where he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timmy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure dwells in you. And, and uh, also godly advice. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. He says, Tim, Fan into flame that gift of God which he has given you. Uh, you know, Paul was apparently at Timothy's appointment as a pastor in the church at, at Ephesus. And he challenged him by saying, keep serving by the grace and power of God. Be a good steward of God's gift to you. Timmy, he says, God has gifted you. And even while he's sitting there in, in this Mamertine prison with all cold, damp, whatever. He was constantly focused on someone else. He was not focused on his own problems. His life was filled with thanksgiving, encouragement, prayer, hope. And when we begin to fill our lives with those kinds of things, we won't have time to be afraid. Paul was also not fearful for one more reason. He understood the power of love. He understood and probably was fully cognizant of John's encouragement. Uh, you know, as John, the beloved, wrote these words in his own letter, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we also in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Paul understood that what he was needed to be about was loving God and loving people. It's all about love. Love casts out fear. That's the first admonition today for us. Don't be afraid. Secondly, we are not to be ashamed. Look here at verse 8. Let me re read some verses here in verse 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why, is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, 
And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Don't be ashamed, folks. Be unashamed. To fully understand this, you need to know that, the, that this word shame or, uh, it goes along with another word, honor. Honor and shame were considered together often in the first century. They were linked together as two pivotal values in the ancient world. They are polar extremes of each other. As nouns, honor approximates our ideas of esteem, respect, high regard, good, uh, uh, good reputation. While the word for shame means just the opposite. It connotes humiliation or loss of standing. The word here was also a euphemism for nakedness, as if one is brought to total embarrassment due to being unclothed. It's also so very interesting that it's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word used in First Chronicles as a personal name, which means destroyed or in ruin. To be shamed was to be made in full view to bring total embarrassment to someone. It's, it's like the emperor with no clothes. He's been had. He's been exposed. And Paul is saying to Timothy, him, I am not ashamed, so you don't need to be shamed. In fact, we're invited uh, to even share in the suffering uh, of, for the gospel by God's power. Uh, you know, last week I was preaching at a church, uh, one of our graffiti churches in New York City. And uh, this whole idea of suffering, by the way, I'm moving quickly because I, uh, either I have to move, preach quickly, or you're going to have to listen a little bit faster because I'm running out of time. I got so much to share in this. The, uh, uh, he says here, he invites Timothy to share in the suffering. Last week I met Dimitri, a man almost 80 years of age who is from Romania, and he sat there and told me about his, his prison experience. He got saved as a young man during the communist regime there in, in Romania, and he began preaching. He felt God calling him to preach, and he would preach freely until he was arrested and thrown into jail. You sit there and look at Dimitri, and he speaks broken English, but he's become a good friend, and his nose is all bent out of shape, and he said, I was beaten severely. I almost died several times in Romania. He said, in 1992, I made a return trip back to Romania to visit. And I sat down on a park bench, hadn't been in Romania, my home, very long, bought a bunch of newspapers. And a guy sat down next to me. And he said, he said, uh, you, are, you are Ian, Ian Kulvici. And, and Dimitri said, yes, that's my name. And Dimitri said, who are you? He said, don't you remember me? And then Dimitri said it dawned on him. Here he was a prison guard who had beaten him just ferociously. And this now man, over, a little over 80 years of age, looked at Dimitri and said, when I beat you, I saw a radiance in your face, in your body. You did not fight back. You did not cry. You just looked up at me with eyes of love. And, and Mr. Ian, I want to tell you that because of that, I recently became a Christian. And I'm looking 
for a Bible to read. And right there on that park bench in 1992, Dimitri gave him a Bible. But Dimitri could have been shamed when he was beaten so ferociously. When he was beaten up in the prison and, and just uh, uh, treated like trash, he said, I could have been very shameful, uh, be, be ashamed of myself and my condition, but I chose not to be. I knew God was standing with me. You know, there is uh, probably the greatest experimental scientist of all time was a guy by the name of Sir Michael Faraday. Uh, he was a British scientist who studied the electromagnetic field. And if, if the Nobel Prize had been uh, available in the 19th century, he probably would have won about eight different Nobel Prizes. But uh, near his death, his uh, co-worker and colleague, who was somewhat of a cynic, uh, especially about faith, came to see Sir Michael. And uh, Sir Michael was known to be able to, you know, when he would have an idea or a speculation, he would want to run into the lab and prove it. And so his friend uh, trying to introduce some levity into the situation, uh, came into uh, Sir Michael's room and said, Sir Michael, now what do you think? Do you have any speculations about death? What are your speculations now? And, 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 and Sir Michael Faraday was, was near death. It wasn't long before he was going to, to pass on. But he shared something pretty remarkable with this cynic. He looked up at him, his former co-worker, and he says this. Speculations, man, I have none. I have certainties. I thank God that I don't rest my dying head upon speculations. For I know whom I've believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Don't be ashamed. Be unashamed. Third and final thing I want to share with you today, and I want to encourage you with this, is this, that we are not to be distracted or are distracted by the world, but be totally unhindered. I want you to see with me, starting in verse 15, some, some names of some folks and introduce you to one particular person. Verse 15 says, You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. I wanted to do some research to find out who this guy Onesiphorus was. He was a man who had come to visit and, and minister and serve uh, the Apostle Paul. And, and in, in all my research, I, I could not find a great deal until I stumbled upon a message by Dr. W.A. Criswell from the First Baptist Church of Dallas that was preached in the late 50s. And uh, Dr. Criswell's sermon helped me to draw together some facts about this man, Onesiphorus. Uh, we know that he is, uh, his name 
uh, benefit bringing or profit sharing or profit bearing. In all likelihood, he was a successful businessman who traveled a great deal and he was an encourager. Uh, and as I began to study about who this guy Onesiphorus was, Dr. Criswell shared some, in a story form, something of, of how he spent his last few uh, weeks of life. So let me just share this and uh, let you be challenged. Onesiphorus was the successful businessman, and he decided to take a boat from his home in Ephesus to Rome, where he frequently did business. And upon arriving in Rome, he gets off the boat and begins immediately to ask, where is Paul the prisoner? Have you seen Paul the prisoner? And folks, as he's talking to, they reply, we don't know who you're talking about. He goes to the praetorian guard. Where is Paul the prisoner? And they say, we don't know. His business associates. He goes to uh, his contacts in Rome. Have you heard of Paul, the preacher of Christ? We don't know. We don't know where, who you're talking about. But one time, a person calls him over and says, Onesiphorus, don't ask so openly about this guy, Paul, the preacher of Christ. Don't you know, whoever is found to be a Christian is an enemy of the gods and an enemy of the state, and is subject to immediate death. Be quiet, sir. Don't talk about this guy, Paul. So, Onesiphorus makes a determination. If Paul, the preacher of Christ, is in the city of Rome, I shall find him death or life. He searches. He asks. He goes from one prison to the other. He meets somebody. Oh, Paul! Sure, I remember him, a Roman citizen, a Jew, a Christian. I heard he was condemned to death and is in the Mamertine prison. So, Onesiphorus makes his way over to the Mamertine prison. And you see, this prison is unlike any others. It's cut out of the solid rock on the Capitoline Hill. The only entrance to that awful dungeon, it's made like a cistern. Up at the top, a grating of iron through which the prisoner is let down into that awful hole through which what little food and water is offered, and he's let down. Down inside that hole is it's a stench. It's, it's a horror. The only light that which can, can struggle through the iron grating it comes in by precious small rays, and here he is. I found him. Uh, Onesiphorus says, there he is. There's my pastor. There's Paul. Onesiphorus, before he, uh, let me back up and say that, that uh, he goes to the guard who's guarding the, the, the grate, who's guarding the entrance. And he says, sir, in the dungeon, a prisoner named Paul. And the guard says, yes. So Onesiphorus draws from a secret pocket in his robe a little pouch of gold and places it in the guard's hand. Onesiphorus says, may I see him? And the guard says, huh, gold, okay. Well, yes, this time you may. He goes in the iron grating, he lifts it away, he lets Onesiphorus down in the dungeon. He looks around and there, chained to the solid rock, is Paul, the aged, the preacher of the gospel of the Son of God. And Paul lifts up his face and there is his old friend, Onesiphorus. 
Can you just imagine the sheer joy which overcomes Paul as he sees for the first time in a long time his good friend and Onesiphorus falls into the arms of his dear friend, that wonderful embrace of long-separated brothers. And we are reminded of, of Paul's words in his, his letter where he writes, Onesiphorus, he sought me out diligently, very diligently, and he found me, and he often refreshed me, for he was not ashamed of my chains." Onesiphorus comes back another day and out of his pocket, a little bag of gold into the hand of the guard to see Paul. Okay, yes, one more time you can see him. And he removes the iron grating and Onesiphorus is let down into the stinking dungeon again. Look here, Paul, Onesiphorus says, I brought you some bread. I've got you some water so you can wash with. And I brought you a cloak. And, and, and look, I brought you a pen and some parchment. And the old and wearied apostle would then write, he often refreshed me. He helped me. He brought me something. Then one day, Onesiphorus was found out. A friend of Caesar Nero saw this businessman making his way to the Mamertine prison and, and seeing the transaction which took place between him and the guard. So he goes to his friend, a guy who's in charge of the prisons, and says, you want to make some money? There's a guy visiting Paul the preacher, and he's rich. He's a businessman. Let's arrest him, and then you can t- we can split his wealth. And so seeing an opportunity, they guard, they position themselves, and wait until Onesiphorus comes. And sure enough, Onesiphorus shows up, makes the transaction with the guard, and Onesiphorus is arrested. Now, we have to guess, but probably he was executed the way that, that Christians are at that time. There was uh, there before the Roman court, one of Nero's corrupt judges arraigns him. He's declared a Christian, and the Roman judge uh, asks him if he's a Christian. Onesiphorus says, I am. Are you a friend of Paul, the preacher of Christ? Sir, I am. And that ended the life of Onesiphorus, and his wealth and property may have been confiscated. And one day, Onesiphorus did not come to see Paul. And the next day, Onesiphorus did not come. And the next day, he didn't come. And Paul wondered and wondered. And somebody told him, was it Luke, the physician maybe? Was it the guard who heard? But somebody said, Onesiphorus has lost his life. And Paul, as though he didn't have trouble and sorrow enough, Paul picks up his pen and he writes these words, The Lord give mercy to the household of Onesiphorus back in Ephesus. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And when he closed the letter, the last salutation that he ever wrote was this, salute the household of Onesiphorus. For he was not ashamed of my chain, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Folks, I'd like to meet him one day and plan to meet Onesiphorus one day. I'd like to shake his hand. I'd like to bow my head in his presence for he was uh, totally undeterred. 
totally undistracted like others had been. That's what it is to be a follower, follower of Christ. Totally undistracted by the things of the world. There were some, uh, like in verse 15 of chapter 1, a very sad verse. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygalus and Hermogenes. Over in chapter 4, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. There were many that got distracted who had once had been a part of the, the, the fellowship, but they got distracted by the, the tumult of the world, the chaos of the world, and the distractions of the world, but not Onesiphorus. He was totally undeterred. Today, I think we can learn from his example to be totally unafraid, be totally unashamed, and undistracted as we carry on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the kingdom. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much for the challenge today that in this crazy world we live in, in the 21st century, in this, uh, the wackiness of it, the tumult, the chaos, the uncertainty, that as followers of Christ, you give us the grace to be totally unafraid and unashamed, and undistracted. Lord, today, may we go from here as, as, one, as people who are determined to live by your grace and mercy. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your presence among us this day. And now to the church, I say, go from here to love the Lord, enjoy him, and serve and be on mission as people totally unafraid, unashamed, and undistracted. Amen.